0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm
1: podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds,
0: and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the executive minister and senior assistant minister, And the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I've been alternating between shows where I'm teaching the power of intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer and interviewing people who I feel as though are bringing a message to the world that needs to be heard, that that's doing the work, that's making sure that they're making a difference and today i have another one of those people on the show and i want to make sure that i introduce you to her her name is dr liza swardarski how are you doing dr liza
1: doing wonderful and super excited to be here in conversation with you
0: beautiful beautiful so we met at unity village earlier this year at the celebrating our soul conference and as we were talking Spirit just told me you need to interview her. You were one of the presenters, like I was. Unfortunately, we were presenting at the same time, and we weren't able to be in each other's workshops. so you know you you owe me a workshop by the way
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <You owe me. laughs> okay and I wanted to bring you on because it was interesting to me um you know, hearing a medical doctor talk about new thought and metaphysics, and I thought we my audience needed to hear that conversation so You know, as we're working through the process of trying to figure out life and merging of medicine and religion and medicine and philosophy and medicine and and consciousness development, the first thing I want to ask you is, can you tell us about your background and how you got involved in New Thought as a medical doctor?
1: Absolutely. First, I'll, I'll go over what I do before I tell you who I am.
0: Behind all
1: of that. And that is, you know, I'm a gynecologist and I practice minimally invasive surgery. So, I, I perform laparoscopic and robotic surgery, and I've been practicing about 20 years now. I also am on clinical instructor at Harvard Medical School. I train residents in residents in, in OBGYN. I stopped delivering babies in 2008. And I also created this program called the Health House program. In 20, 2014. And so it's a seven part workshop series basically designed to promote conscious change and transformation. So I want to create spaces for conversations that women aren't having because we're taught to hide and make ourselves small and hide our problems. And it's built around seven health vows. You know, we have vows to so many things in our life, written and unwritten, but no vows to ourselves for healthier living. So those are the roles that I play. If you saw me with my stethoscope or my white coat, but when you asked me, how did I get involved in new thought? It started at an early age where I was living the principles, our spiritual principles before I even knew, you know, I didn't, I knew what to do without really knowing. So around the age of five or six, I started noticing that I was very energy sensitive to my environment, that energy felt like a person taking up space. And It started off growing up biracial in South Bend, Indiana. Born in 1974, not a lot of biracial families. My dad is Jewish, was Jewish. He passed. My mom's African American, and just seeing how people received us had an energy. Racism had an energy that didn't feel good in, in, in my stomach, and and also I had a beautiful childhood where I learned how to escape. But we had a much discord in the home. A lot of housing insecurity, poverty, challenges with parental anger issues and and things like that. And this is with the spiritual resilience that children have, that energy would be stored in the body. So I remember at a very young age, you know, it, it started showing up as betrayals, the body betrayal, bedwetting, for instance. And I remember writing a letter to God, because my mom gave us that gift of faith. She had us in church. She had us in Sunday school and we would often get evicted. So we would move and we would go to the the nearby church. And so at a very young age in Sunday school, I would be putting together how these different religions, many of them were saying the same thing. So that spiritual being in me is how I first identified in this life without even understanding and I would write letters to God, and I would feel energy. And one one night, when I had had this really tough situation with my father, I was maybe seven years old. I felt this energy in my room, and it was it was dark, and I was afraid of the dark. So then I got up and I started looking for it around the house. My fear of the dark went away, and I remember being a seeker ever since that time, just seeking this knowingness, this energy that there was something more than what I saw. And I would look at our life and, and I had an inner knowing that my life was going to look very different as I grew and had my own agency to make choices. And when I, I think about who says it best is Neil Donald Walsh as he transcribed and transmuted mm-hmm. you know, the voice of God and, and talked about that knowing is the divine state. And the grandest joy is being, and being is achieved after experience. So when Neil Donald Walsh in Conversations with God talks about knowing, experiencing, and being is the triune that is God, that best describes my life and how I evolved to become a medical doctor, but first as a spiritual being and as a child, knowing that there was something beyond. And my life has also become a testimony of one's internal power to heal itself. When, when other discordant disease showed up in medical school for me and what that did, which we can talk about.
0: No, right, beautiful, beautiful. So you had a situation of, of being energy sensitive, and I can relate to that, you know, without getting into large details about it. But I can remember <laughs> as you were talking about energy has a feeling and a presence. I can remember being at a funeral and I was around four or five, <laughs> five years old. And it was my grandmother's niece. And I saw my grandmother's niece at her own funeral. And it was clear as day, like, I'm looking at you. And I started to make a, a scene about it because nobody believed me. And of course, you know, they're trying to calm me down as a kid and, you know, it's everything's okay. And, you know, hush, you know, you know, being from you know, our age range, you know, you just don't clown at your, at, at a funeral, at a black it's
1: funeral.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so but it, but I I got to the point of of clowning about it because I couldn't believe that the people who love me didn't believe what I was seeing. So and you try to figure out how to process that because you're like, okay, do I not talk about it? Do I not do I not trust what I actually Experienced and saw. So I didn't talk about it for years. I mean, none of my friends growing up, other family members, the only people that knew were my grandparents, my mother, and my sister. I didn't even tell my father. It was because it's just like, okay, trying to figure out what does it mean to be energy sensitive, intuitive. I didn't know, I, I didn't have words for it.
1: So did, you try to
0: process, right?
1: We don't. And I, I think, you know, I'd be curious at what age you started standing in that. In that truth, I, I didn't answer the second part of your question, which really piggybacks off of what you said. So as I became in my early 20s and I was a third year medical student, I realized I started to, to become the experiences to understand how energy was affecting my body mm-hmm. through relationships. So when I was 23 years old, I started, I, can't, I, became, I was diagnosed with this inflammatory bowel disease. And inflammation in the bowel presents itself where your bowel loses function, so it doesn't digest food, and you end up having symptoms and nausea and weight loss and everything else that goes with it. And I was going around; I had an inner knowing that something was wrong, and the doctors didn't believe me because I was athletic and I looked in shape. And as a, I go, I went, and I had to really. Advocate for my own care for the the blood, the blood work that I needed, and I was diagnosed with indeterminate colitis that was then diagnosed as Crohn's disease when, in my intern year. Now I say that I haven't had a flare in 20 years. I haven't been on steroids or immune modulators, so my life is really a testimony in in terms of the of honoring our our process and healing. And it was intuition that guided me to to go seek care and, and knowing that something was wrong. But when that showed up, I had this really mystical experience where I was having a big pity party, my intern year, I was like, why me instead of mm-hmm. what next or why is this showing up in my life? And I started getting these messages with it, that was different from my intuition. It was, it, I would wake up at these certain times in the morning and one once it, well, there was one, there was a message, go to Jubilee Church in Mattapan on Sunday, clear as day. Mm-hmm. So I went to church that day and it was the only time I was ever hospitalized. And the sermon was about healing and sickness and why sickness can show up in your life. And that sermon changed my life because it made me look at why is this showing up? And mm-hmm. It made me reevaluate everything, the entire diet of life, which is really what your health, the outpicturing of your health and the body looks like. So my relationships, how with the food I ate, how I slept, and it made me realize that this energy that is never created or destroyed was stored in my gut, you know, that energy center Mm -hmm. in our body, and it was presenting as disease and discord. So that is when the intuition and 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 the other mystical experiences I had, I really began to realize that that spiritual aspect of my life was as real as is this phone sitting in front of me that there wasn't much no space or time that separated us. and I became open to really listening and following that inner guidance in ways that i I even began looking for it and asking for help. So I started to ask for teachers and I am and I and your question was, how did you get to new thought? Well, after I had my son, I I, I was in prayer and asking for guidance and clarity and, and teachers because I was having these mystical experiences that I don't talk about at work either. I don't right. talk about much in, in the conventional medical setting. So I went to a family reunion and my father-in-law, um, Mark, who passed last year, there was a woman there and I was very attracted to her energy. And I I asked him, who is this woman? And he says, well, you know, she's a seer. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, she's gifted. And I guess she, she had ran clinics all over Europe. And I was somebody who would get stopped on the street and was very reluctant to talk to people who claimed to be clairvoyant. I figured I'm going to figure out my own life. So I wasn't into that, but I went up to her and I started telling her about some dreams I was having and these messages that I was getting at certain hours of the day. And she said, oh, you must be the reason why I came. I wasn't going to come, but I had a feeling I should be here. I have a book for you. So she gave me Joel Goldsmith's The Art of Spiritual Healing. She I had love that copy. book. Yep. Yeah. And she was the one who introduced me to Science of Mind with this workbook, Basic Principles of the Science of Mind by Frederick Bales, Frederick Bales. You know, Ernest Holmes' colleague. And I went into years of self-study. So that is how I got into into New Thought, really.
0: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. We have a a similar journey. And I don't want to take up your time because this is your interview. But um, it's interesting because uh, when I was 20 years old, uh, you know, I was always around. I I had a very intuitive grandmother and mother. My mother was involved in New Thought and other eclectic spiritual philosophies. My grandmother was more more of an evangelist. Besides mm-hmm. being a, a entrepreneur, she was an evangelist, and so I was always raised around prayer and God and things of that nature. But my mom uh, was involved with metaphysics and other things, but I didn't pay any attention to it initially. Once I hit those teenage years, and you know, I realized that girls like me, yes. it was.
1: <laughs> you started manifesting.
0: <laughs> so it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, girls think I'm cute? Wait a minute. You know, you go from, you know, Spider-Man comic books to, wait a minute, they think I'm cute. And that just kind of changes your perspective. And then, you know, sports, you know, basketball, being at the park, all of those type of things, hanging out with your friends. And so, you know, I went through that phase. And then around 20, I can remember I was listening to a song. And this is just funny how things can wake you up. And it was a song by uh, Boogie Down Productions, you Mm. know, the rapper Karis One. And it was in the lyric he said, I can still remember, I haven't heard the song in years. He said, Christians keep saying, accept Jesus in your life. Christianity was founded 400 years after Christ. What do you accept in your life? Christianity or the teachings of Christ. Make up your mind and not the same thing. In 1992, the blind leads the blind right into the ground. They can't tell you where God is because they haven't found him first. Put down the Bible and release your sin. The Bible is dead. God is alive within metaphysically speaking outcome clearer. You want to see God take a look in the mirror. And I can remember that that lyric is, as you can see, is impressed in my brain because I can remember just having conversations. I'll be at work. I'm talking to my buddies. You heard that lyric he said? What do you think he meant by that? What do you think he meant by that? And I didn't even have any conversations with my mother who would have known what he meant. So ends up happening is late ninety two around Thanksgiving, my mother was cooking. she and my room was next to the kitchen. she said, "Put this tape in your stereo. I want to listen to it. It was a tape from Christ Universal Temple of Les Brown, the motivator. it used to be a minister for our organization. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that he's actually ordained new thought minister for UFBL, but he just walked he decided to go into the meta to the motivational field. I'm listening to this tape and, man, this guy makes a lot of sense Brought the tape. For a while, listen to it, Asked for another tape. It's Dr. Dennis Kimbrough who wrote Think and Grow Rich and Black Choice. Yes. He was a guest speaker at CUT. Then she let me hear uh, Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman. And I was blown away. So that's late uh-huh. November all the way to January. I said, I, I want to go to church with you. So me and a buddy went to church with her. And
1: how old were you then? I was 20. Okay.
0: And what's end up funny about it. And it's funny now. I say it's funny uh she did, wasn't there the first sunday and the speaker was good but then the next sunday i heard her voice and it felt like i was at home it oh, was yeah. like mm-hmm. and she said get in a class we have classes coming up in uh, three weeks or four weeks whatever go by the sign up and buy the book so i went signed up for a class in the johnny coleman institute the very first class basic True principles one which is the foundational principles and I went and bought two books. It was New Thought Christian by William Warch and A New Way of Thinking. What's the little guy's name? Charles, Charles Roth, maybe? I think it was Charles Roth. But anyway, so I read the books. I'm a very fast reader. And I go to a party that week and um, with my then girlfriend, who ended up I ended up marrying. It was now the ex-wife of the mother of my child. So we're at a party for Tom Joyner's retirement party. Remember he used to fly back and forth
1: Absolutely. from
0: yeah, Chicago to Dallas. So, but I'm feeling sick the whole day. But before I left, my gr- I told my grandmother that I wasn't feeling well. And she told me to put Vicks vapor rub on my chest. So I went there. I wasn't feeling well. I came home. I told my mom, like, you know, why am I feeling well? It was late. And then I woke my mother up because I couldn't breathe. And she drove me to uh, the hospital. and the the emergency room doctor told me i i had got there 10 minutes later i would have died And no other way for me to say All that right. yes and the emergency room doctor said the vicks vapor rub activated a dormant asthma that i never had before
1: interesting
0: and, and it was like a remedy yeah so it was like i was like so of course now i'm a brand new new thought student you have asthma no i don't yes you do no i don't yes you do no i don't yes, you can call it what you want to call it. I'm going to call it nothing. So I you know, started debating. I'm brand, brand new. But uh, deci- But two things happened out of that conversation. Well, One, my mother was in there. And I, when I left, I actually grabbed my books. I didn't realize the severity. I knew I couldn't breathe. But I didn't know I was about to die. And I remember having the books in the emergency room. My mother's pacing and I'm her baby. And I just looked at my mother and I said, Ma, according to these books, I don't have to have this if I don't want it. So, you know, I got out, did four and a half days in the hospital, which, you know, as a doctor, most people with asthma don't stay in the hospital almost five days.
1: No. And and that's a yeah. long time to be in the hospital. I, 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 spent, I spent one night.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: MD, my intern year, never again with, with that. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. About-
0: so I had to do two weeks and then stay home for two weeks after. No going outside, whatever. The cold air could have damaged my lungs. Two inhalers very large pills, And I was just dedicated to understanding if what Johnny Coleman and what these authors were writing. And I just got on a journey of working this truth, affirmations, denials, visualization, prayers, studying. I was like, if I can shift my comprehension, my understanding of truth, I don't have to be sick. And I can remember going to my last uh, doctor's appointment because uh, I'm taking my classes. I'm doing everything you can think of, reading three to five books a week. I was mm-hmm. all in immersion. And I remember talking to the doctor, and he was telling me, Well, you know, I, I can't find anything wrong, but because of how bad it was then, four months ago or whatever, five months, you have to do keep the two inhalers, keep the pills, do what, whatever, be mindful about playing sports with your friends. And I can remember going home, I prayed about it overnight, and I went to my mother and I said, Ma, I believe I'm healed. Either, and I'm gonna prove that this truth works, or I'm not gonna be here. And I threw the medicine to win <laughs> and, and I don't recommend that to people. That but was my journey.
1: You took it for some time. Yeah. Before you threw it away, were you? No, good? no,
0: no. I took it, I took it um initially, probably while I was recovering and once mm-hmm. and I never actually had to use the inhalers any, So I wasn't using the medicine or the inhalers. But he told me I had to do it anyway. So I used it for a short amount of time as I was recovering at home before I could go back out. But after that, I was like, "No, I'm done with this." And uh, I don't—I re- didn't tell that story for a lo- uh, many years, maybe twenty years at least, because people only hear he threw his medicine away. They don't hear the months of immersion, like literally, like nothing else mattered to me other than if I understand this truth, I can heal my body. And
1: but what you were doing was put you were being the steward of your care. You were doctoring. You're only going to get so much from that 15 to 30 minute appointment or that four or five day hospitalization. I I say as doctors, we're like shepherds, but we, we have, we have expertise about the pastures. We have the, we have the languaging and I can do surgery, but you can't make people walk or drink or seek. Knowledge and understanding. So you're you're a testament of saying, why is this showing up? And and asthma is described as it has language in here. We're in the third dimension. So these diagnoses, I say I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, but I am not that disease. That, That disease doesn't have to be in me, but I can't be surprised if it shows up. What's it here to just like asthma, there's a set of symptoms and there are things we have to do to heal through that Uh not owning it or getting lost in it. But I also do believe about the divinity in the pill, the divinity in the operation, divinity Uh in the medical care, if it feels right with, with your path, when, if, but you have to be self-aware and that's a process and you have to own your body in the theme of Uh self-love, honoring the body, accepting it, sending it love. Yes, you can hear it. You know, you went Mm -hmm. to your mother. You had probably a good relationship with your body. Yeah. But there are many of us who do not. We're taught very very young ages and particularly in communities of color. We can disassociate from the body.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing about it is that was 1993. I've never had another asthma attack. And but I also tell people I'm very pro medicine and I'm very pro metaphysics because I I believe that they can work together, they can merge. That we don't have to be either or, which I think sometimes the language of old new thought material can be because they were putting leeches on people when these books Absolutely. were written. <laughs> you know, there was no such thing as standardized standardized medical care. So yep. so the the harmony of of spirituality and medicine, I think can help create a holistic being, but you have to be willing to listen to your own still small voice. But, but I, I, have taken up so much time talking about my stuff. Uh, let me ask this next question that I think is really important. Um, how important is a person's mindset when they are physically healing and even taking medication?
1: Mindset is everything as, as you know, our thoughts are intentional, they or unintentional, they manifest. And I bring our teachings and these universal truths, which we call spiritual truths, into the office one patient at a time. Now, of course, the languaging I use has to be such that it can hit every ear that passes my office one, one patient at a time. But the mindset is everything. You know, if 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 we help people understand first and foremost that that they're free, free to choose. And making a choice is necessary. And it's important to make the choice from the intuitive space, from the heart also, and the head. We are taught early on to just follow our head, but I believe the heart center is is where the brilliance lies. And what I say to patients is that physical healing... Takes place in the mind with intention setting, with by being conscious and being willing by seeking answers and ways to help yourself heal. But in terms of with medication, if you are not doing the things in your life to change your lifestyle that help promote healing, the medication, there's also divinity in that. There's also genius in that. If you're not doing anything, a non choice is a choice as well. So choices Mm -hmm. and non choices are leading us to a place, either a place of living more healthily. Or a place of living in sickness, disease, and discord. So mindset is everything. And I and I tell patients when I'm seeing them, we're we're partnering in your care. It's important for me to establish trust. But one of the workshops I teach is how to navigate these doctor's office visits, how to interact with doctors, and not let your anger emotions keep you from getting your good. Come in with intentions, with questions learning to move past anxiety or fear about asking questions and take up space. Mm-hmm. And I tell patients to visualize sometimes like what they want to see in the space when they're with the doctor and to focus more on try to reset to, to think of I'm going to find my healthcare provider. Who's going to help me instead of living more in the negative. So it's important to be a conscious and aware of what we're bringing to the table table too, if we need to be healed. Yes. yes. So when we're walking into a space, we're needing care because we need help. We haven't figured it all out. There's something showing up in the body: depression, anxiety, pain, inflammatory bowel disease, asthma, whatever it may be. You know, sexual dysfunction. Many of these things come up, and and you do need you do need help and guidance. But if you're coming in to the visit with all these preconceived, limited beliefs about what your experience is going to be like, even before you walk in. I'm not going to be understood. This doctor is going to be not too is going to be too busy. My questions aren't going to be answered. If you already walk into that space with negative thinking, you will likely attract more of that
0: yes.
1: instead of instead of envisioning a more easeful interaction. Now we know that there are different types of doctors and healthcare providers, and there's different modalities of healing. I've recently started working with an energy healer mm-hmm. when the heartache showed up for the past year and. I got my cardiac workup and mm-hmm. twice showed up and they couldn't find anything. And I started working with an energy healer to, and that finally took, I, we realized what it was and, but I was being optimistic in my journey that I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And when I, when when the cardiologist told me that everything's fine, I had everything: cardiac echo, enzymes, stress test, and 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 was killing the stress test. I was like, you know, <laughs> and I just, but I actually Matt, I prayed with my prayer partner for guidance and clarity to find a healer that can help me figure out why this energy is in my heart. And that's when when a different type of healing modality showed up in my life. So I think mindset is everything. And I think with medications you have to be realistic about what you're doing and what you're not doing. So if you have high blood pressure and your blood and you know you're not changing your diet, you're not exercising, you're 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 struggling to lose the weight, you know, you love fried food and you just aren't making the lifestyle changes. You have to ask yourself why not take the medication? And what what is going to happen if I just keep going down the road that I'm on? Mm-hmm. you're going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So yes. with our yes. teachings, we cannot bypass the things that are showing up in our body or feel shame or guilt around it.
0: Right, right. It's important
1: yeah. to ask not why me, but why is this here? What is mine to do? And to live in faith, ask for help, receive the guidance, take the steps to find the help that you need and be open-minded and don't settle.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I often um, tell people uh, a statement that um, I got from a, a guest of mine from some years ago named Mary O'Malley. She wrote a book that I I still use this title to this day. It's called "What's in the Way is the Way," mm-hmm. and I, you know, and I love that statement because when I get caught up in the appearances of what's showing up, instead of asking myself why me, what's in the way is the way. If it's in my life, it's for me to address, it's for me to heal, it's for me to transform, it's for me to get the breakthrough instead of trying to uh, project it on someone else and blame or create scapegoats. I meet no one but me. I am always my own experience. That's part of ownership. Uh, i'm taking a look here we're going to take a quick break real fast and when we get back we're going to drill down on some, some very specific questions so we'll be right back with truth transformed Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Today, we're having a powerful conversation about the merging of medicine and metaphysics. And we're having a great conversation with Dr. Liza Swerdarski. And we are really getting into what it means to have the mindset to heal, the modalities of healing. And we're about to do a deep dive into some serious questions right now. So are you ready, Dr. Liza? Yes. All right. So before we get go into some of those other questions, I want to first of all ask: What projects are you currently working on?
1: My biggest project is is centered around the Health House program I created. I've recently turned it into a research project. Research meaning people don't like that word research, but that involves two surveys at the beginning and the end of this seven week long workshop series. I've adapted them to be on Zoom. I was doing them in person before the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, where I run a workshop centered around one health vow. I've created seven health vows. So one workshop each week. And the goal is to promote conscious change, to help women navigate all these social determinants of health. What are the social determinants of health? And people are going to be hearing about these social determinants of health because There's now screening that is being put in place when you go in for your office visits. They're going to be asking you about these social determinants of health. What we know is your health is an outpicturing of your environment, your education level, your access to food, your housing, where you live, your relationships, your work life. So this workshop series is centered around helping empower individuals to make conscious choices that will then promote living healthily, empowered choices. And that they're they're filled with uh, mindfulness exercises, meditations, but also topics. And we start off with the basic of topics. The first vow is I pledge to honor my body with acceptance. And all of the vows can be found on my website. The second one is I vow to stay connected to my body, to hear and feel everything it has to say. And that goes over the body's intuitive power. But we get down to number four, we're talking about how do you navigate healthcare systems and doctor's offices, because people get discouraged. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've chosen to work in Boston's community health centers. And in Chicago, when I was a medical student, we trained in community hospitals and health centers and academic centers. But there are limited resources in certain settings where if you're calling and you have an issue and someone doesn't answer the phone, you could get discouraged and not call back if you're having chest pain. Right. So that workshop is very important to say, how do I navigate these really tough systems that really don't seem to be built for me? Very sterile environments. They can seem cold. They can be intimidating. So that that's a, a big project I'm working on now. The workshop signups are on my website. And what I you you sign up and, and it's free. The challenge is, is that it's free because yeah. <laughs> I want to show that this is, this is needed and that it works, that we need to work with individual consciousness and change. We can't just give people medications. And we, if we want people to take personal responsibility, we need to help give them tools to do so. And so it's free. And the goal is to have individuals sign up and show up and commit so that we can show from the beginning to the end that there's some, there's some transformation. I'm also um, working on a couple books, a couple books and. Those are my biggest projects right now, that workshop series and 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 writing.
0: All right, cool. Can you give people your website address so they can know how to get in contact with you and get this information?
1: Sure. It's just health vows, like marital vows, but healthvows.org, all one word. And on that website, there's a contact form. You can find my email. And I exist all over Google, so you can see see me at my hospital website. There's email addresses there too. And I'm available by email, by phone, but you can definitely reach me directly from those contact forms. And there's even workshop signups uh, that correspond. I run them for seven consecutive weeks. And I usually take a three to four week break in between. And they're an hour and a half each week. My goal is, and I feel that in our new thought communities, Centers for Spiritual Living, Unity, what we really need to think about is coming to the table and saying, we know there's other healing modalities that help people live healthily. How do we establish trust in a healthcare system where there is none is to honor that in people, mm-hmm. that they're seeking other healing modalities. And why are these not paid for? Why are practitioner sessions not paid for? How do we get that covered? And this is where, I've, where my goal to do this research comes from to show right. that programming that can heighten consciousness and teach self empowerment and self-advocacy tools is really what's needed and health literacy. So part of the workshop series is we go over guidelines, you know, what, what's it, what do you need to have done every year? What are the um, causes of death in the United States, which is actually heart disease, mm-hmm. you know, what are screening guidelines? What does a colonoscopy mean? So I sprinkle in, Educational tools and topics. We talk about sleep. We talk about diet and exercise to plant the seed to inspire. I I think one big thing that we all need in terms of our health is inspiration because our bodies respond to so many things in our environment. And particularly, I think our relationships as well. We talk about relationships during this workshop series. Many of these topics we just are not introduced to. If you think about our formal education, Reverend Galen. Yeah. Where in our educational system, you grew up in a new thought community, but for many people, there's there's no place when you're being educated that talks about how the environment impacts your health, how your choices impact your health, choices in relationship and what you choose to do. And and also spending more time doing what you love. Right. That's a big part of what we talk about in the series is love and joy and I often find that people present at their sickest when they're doing things in their life that they don't really love and that don't bring them joy. They've stopped asking because Mm -hmm. they're so committed to commitments instead of being committed to being free.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the the things that I've tried to teach my daughter through the years is focusing on her emotional intelligence. Uh, So the way I taught it to her was, it's your superpower. I noticed very early uh, that my daughter had really good emotional intelligence, very energy sensitive, and she could be in any circumstance or situation, and people just love to be around her, no matter the age. That is a said, gift. And I said, "This," I said, "That's," I said, "Emotional intelligence is your superpower, and you need to focus on it." And you know, she went to school, and she actually she just graduated last year um, with a bachelor's degree, and. But I'm trying to help her understand that, okay, there's a career and then there's your gift. And your gift will open up ways, whether it's the career you went to school for or you choose to do something else because, you know, that's a thing in our society. Go to school for one thing, but sometimes the 18-year-old that decides a, a, a major is not necessarily the person that they want to be when they're 30 or 40 years old. So I, I love the fact that you talk about getting in contact, get in contact with who you are, getting in contact because
1: Absolutely. these
0: things have to be taught to people. And if, and if we don't take the time to actually teach them, then we're not equipping our uh, our youth who are going to become adults to be empowered adults walking into life. So thank God they have people like you that can say, hey, stop, slow down, breathe. Let's learn what we need to learn so we can get in contact with our inner wholeness, and what I th- like to tell my students is uh, a phrase I came up with about five or six years ago. There's something radically right about you.
1: Oh, that is beautiful.
0: You know, so and, and what's I, yeah, it was funny. Is I, yes, like, like get to that point because with all those things you named earlier, the the impact our health will always tell you that there's something wrong with you.
1: Well, that was it when I was at my sickest. You know, Chicago is is a soulmate city for me. And Midwestern people in general, that that is home. Yeah. That was home for me. But I ended up in Boston. I was guided to apply to the residency program I, I ended up matching in when I moved here at 27. And it was a top one in the country. But the but even the city of Boston had a certain energy. Yeah. That I had to really grow. I left Boston in 2011 to pursue fellowship training and, and minimally invasive surgery and came back in 2014. And all that time I was away is when I really had my homecoming to mm-hmm. thought and, and religious science principles and science of mind. It was a homecoming for me. I was like, this is what I've been doing. And I'm now doing a deep dive. And when I got back to Boston, I was better equipped to deal with with the energies and, and things that were were in the city. But I think what you tell your daughter, it's a gift that you're planting that seed for her. And I do the same thing for my kids, because when you ask about, you know, what I do now, and I am a medical doctor, my entire life has been informed by the the, the deeply spiritual aspects of my being and that inner knowing that I'm connected with God and that there's a power in me. And as a Black woman in medicine, as a, it, it has not been an easy journey. You know, I've also chosen to work in Boston's community health centers. And I have had to um, give myself a celebratory thumbs up for not letting my ego guide my life. My spiritual mm-hmm. being guides my life. And my litmus test is peace, because when I've used my intuition to help actualize my career, I say which decision feels right. Mm-hmm. The, the, the intuitive decision has peace there, but it's not always the easy road. Right. And the other thing is I ask myself is when I'm alone in a quiet room does the inside match the outside does the inside of what I feel does my spiritual integrity and authenticity what I'm thinking and what I feel and what I know is right for me does my life and what I'm doing and how I'm moving does it match does mm-hmm. it match so that's that's really how I've maneuvered and been able to work in as a medical doctor and even now you know I have other other visions of how I would prefer to serve. And I think one thing too, we have to talk about when we talk about health is being patient with ourselves as well. And knowing that life, sometimes you have to table things um, that, that your journey, you don't have to do everything all at once. I've certainly tabled some things and our jobs and our lives and our choices have a way of grounding us. Mm-hmm. And creating spaces and places where maybe our vision of who we are as the I am presence looks very different than what we're doing in that in that moment. But we should still keep dreaming and and envisioning and thinking about how the spirit and the body are maneuvering in this life so that the body is healthy, so that we can move into our highest vision.
0: Yes. So as you we were talking, this question just jumped in my mind and I just have to ask it. Um. In the merging of medicine and metaphysics, what is the role of forgiveness and healing?
1: Oh, that that is a, a powerful, powerful question. And it's interesting that you're asking me that. I think forgiveness is, is paramount. At least it, it has been in my journey. And it's also something I see when I'm working with patients one-on-one. Is and when you're working with people and you're hearing their stories, you're really seeing the script of their conscious thinking. So forgiveness for me is what really creates that harmony with the mind, body, spirit. And and forgiveness, I say, is an energetic release, and it's it's built over time like a muscle. Mm-hmm. And. I had to learn early on about forgiveness because you know I had a father he passed last August who had a lot of anger issues who who just really struggled here and I I loved my father deeply and I could see his light as well as the dark aspects of him and he was very um, physically abusive and there is a process in forgiving that allowed me to be free and I think free from any GI upset or disease because I. Started to understand. I think my medical training helped me understand that people do things because they can be out of alignment with who they are. They can be out of alignment with their divine essence. So that helped me be a forgiver. Mm -hmm. And and when things showed up for me later on, you know, when he passed and I was having some heartache about a few things, and I I started working with this energy healer. The energy healer said something very profound. Profound. He said, "You have mentally forgiven, but." But you have some spiritual scar tissue. And, um, and so I went through an even deeper process of forgiveness where I, in my mind, went back in time to when I was a little girl. And the process that we did was give your father all the things you think you would have needed to be more at peace in, in those ages that you were at. And it was a beautiful exercise. And then that, that pain went away. I didn't know why the pain was there. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd, I'd done my forgiveness work. But I see many people letting, and I shouldn't say letting, affected by their story and their experiences, which are real, the energy associated with those experiences, which are real, the emotions associated with those experiences mm-hmm. which are real, um, living in their body, and, and they become sick. And one of the things that I presented at the uh, Celebrating Our Soul conference in my workshop, what I presented was the data on adverse childhood events and how they directly correlate with disease so adverse childhood events there's a 10-part quiz and there was a a major study out in california at kaiser that and this was done with with uh white people they actually took out any high-risk populations and black individuals and and they 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 shifted the data a bit and found that if you had the higher your adverse childhood events score. So there's, there's 10 parts to that quiz. You are more likely to have um, a various health conditions, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, obesity, uh, drug addiction. And so that just shows you that what happens to us and the energy and emotions attached to that can result in disease. And that's how I bridge metaphysics and medicine. If that, if that right there doesn't, sh- doesn't show that mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a correlation between experience, emotions, and the body, and, and the outpicturing of the body, I don't, I don't know what else does.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. As you were saying that, I, I had a flashback of one of my early mentors in ministry. Um, because I've been actually teaching new thoughts since 96. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reverend Christina Knox-Walthall, she was the prime minister for uh, Reverend Coleman. And she said to me one day, she said, sometimes when we don't release and we hold the energy in our bodies, eventually we have to go to a doctor so they can cut our thoughts out. Interesting. And I was just like, cut our thoughts out. But it was, she was just trying to help me understand just the level of impact your mental and emotional states have on the cells of your body. And it's going to show up, you know, it's a whole section of The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes, about this, about potential options. Louise Hay made a a fortune and built a corporation off the concept of your, your body will reflect specific issues with specific uh emotional states and it's just Absolutely. interesting conversations around um uh, uh i don't know if you ever read this book years ago it's called who's the matter with me
1: i haven't read that I've, I've yeah
0: been- I, it's long out of print uh I, I it was a part of what i had to study in in like 90 94 95 something when i was one of those training classes I had to get the book, but in the book it's called who's the matter with me is because as you were talking about relationships and how they affect your body, she was the author of that book was specifically zero on instead of saying what's the matter with me, who's the matter with me, what energy dynamics are happening to me that's affecting my health.
1: And and that is how I've navigated my life. And I think, you know, I haven't been sick in over 20 years. Um, I'm very, very picky with my diet. I get my sleep. But I remember when I, in medical school, when I first got sick, you know, I, the, 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 boyfriend I had at the time was very, very angry person. You know, we, we didn't have any, um, he was just a very angry person. You know, the type of person who would honk a lot in traffic or yeah. very brilliant man, but it just wasn't something I was that I, that gelled with me. And I have even my, in my medical career, that's why I stopped doing obstetrics. I, I finished my residency in 06. And I got board certified in 2008, and I stopped doing working on labor and delivery because the energy on labor and delivery, I would get sick. I would do shifts on labor and delivery, not sleeping, and and, and I would get sick. And what you say about Ernest Holmes, his chapter on the body is so powerful. And I, I do teach about those concepts in my workshops to patients. Uh, I, I, I come out in full disclosure that I'm a praying physician, that I'm spiritual, that I study metaphysics. I tell people that in the group. And what Ernest Holmes says about the body um, is a manifestation of the unseen man is so mm-hmm. powerful. And he spends an entire chapter talking about that. Basically, the mind and body have to be in, in a piece in mm-hmm. order to not have discord in the body or disease. And that's really what our bodies are. And who's going to care about? your body more than you. Right. You know, so it's about taking personal responsibility. I think why people get so frustrated with the healthcare system is this expectation that you can walk into a space and be fully seen, heard and understood and cared for. And in a, in a very short interval of time, when a lot of the work takes place out of the office.
0: Yes. Yes. And energetically even walking, as you say, walking into an office and be, being prepared for the visit if energetically. The doctor is a jerk.
1: Absolutely.
0: That will throw your energy off. And some people just don't get help instead of saying, I could just choose another doctor.
1: Please repeat that because (laughs) I teach this all the time. You know, but people don't like the trouble of going and looking and finding a physician and and finding a right fit. And I said, when do you ever settle in your life? I remember Steve Jobs um, gave a commencement speech to Stanford and he he told Stanford, these graduates and don't settle. Right. Don't settle. We don't settle in our lives and our relationships or we shouldn't. Right. Intimate partnerships, our work life. But you have to put the time in to find the right physician. We put the time in for so many other things. And it's important to change. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to um, go to that visit with grace, you know, go prepared, have your history ready, know what your Mm -hmm. medication list is. So if you go to the doctor's office and you arrive right on time, by the time they room you, your visit's ten minutes over. You right. don't know your medication, so you're spending five minutes trying to remember. You don't right. know your medical history. Um, you know, I have women come in who are having an irregular menstrual cycle, and they've been sitting in there waiting for twenty minutes on their cell phone, Facebook, and Instagram, and they can't even tell me the, over the last three to four months what their menstrual cycle looked like. Because and so and then you can all there's only so much time in the day. Mm-hmm. So it's about being intentional in those visits. And like you said, if you are getting energy from the physician, that's not a fit, you have to switch, but also know, what are you bringing to the visit? Do you come oh, yeah. to visit with fear? Mm. Uh, fear, I think is epidemic and pandemic. And it, it's understandable, but it fear can be healthy and a catalyst for change. It can, it can make us change and go see a doctor, but it can also, um, keep us from moving forward in treatments that we need. You know, I, my, I describe fear as a focused energy on an anticipated reality. So Mm -hmm. it's against our principles of being in the present moment, be mindful. And that's one thing I work on in, in my workshop series too, is how do we be present? How do we stay present? So the mind is not going all over the place during your attempts to get care that you can stay present so that you can optimize your time with that healer.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things about um, working with people on my side as a minister, when people come to me for counseling is I often tell people, first of all, you have to take personal responsibility. I'm a big person, big believer in, I don't know if you ever read this term but from Jack Canfield, E plus R equals O, mm-hmm. event plus response equals outcome. Yes. I'm a total believer in it. And I also tell people that because I've had people who were quote unquote forced their wives made them come see me. Their mamas made them come see me and <laughs> energetically I can feel it when I, when they come into my office and I often will say to them, um, do you want to be here? No. Did your mother, your husband, your whatever, normally is, I'll be honest, normally is mother or her, or wife made you come. <laughs> normally that's the, the case. And I said, then I'll say, okay. Did your mother make you come here? Yes. Now that you're here, do you still want to meet with me? And depending on that answer, I was like, yeah, like if you want help, I'm here. Uh, I don't want to be here. I just get up, shake their hand and say, thank you for coming. Because what I know is this,
1: <laughs>
0: that in a, my consciousness is not going to override their resistance.
1: Absolutely not. It sounds like, I've often, um, especially being a, a, a practitioner through Centers for Spiritual Living, I've often, you know, as I love our spiritual community spaces and these conferences we go to, it makes me realize, you know, doctors and ministers are, we're, we're in the same business, really. Yeah. And and, I, and uh, the only difference is, I wish I could do what you what you were able to do. You know, <laughs> they, they've made it now where the yeah. person walks out and they stick a review yeah. right online and I get patients all the time. You can feel their judgment. You can Mm. sense what they're feeling right when you walk in that room. Yes. You you can, they either trust you right away or they don't half the time. People don't even like physicians are coming to the doctor. Maybe they wanted you to look a little bit different or be a little bit older. And so I (laughs) I I that sometimes, I mean, I, I can, I've I've taken some beatdowns. Is sitting there and there are moments where I have to be that, you know, sometimes I'm that, you know, that black girlfriend who tells you has to be bring the truth to the visit and say, this is really what you need to be focused on. Are we yeah. really going to do this? Are we really going to go there?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because uh, <laughs> when I taught my very first class, New Thought class, uh, newly 25 within a couple of months. And at that time, Christ Universal Temple had three thousand plus people every Sunday. We had a thousand people in class every week. It was twenty-five amazing. classes going on at one time, and and during what? the course of one week, I'm not exaggerating. Like twenty-five classes happened. any given Monday m- morning or evening, with all these classes, all these teachers, and everybody's my senior. I'm the youngest by a minute. Yes, and I remember when I we were all in our faith chapel. And they said, okay, they were, you know, did the orientation and everybody would get up and go with their teacher. When I stood up and those students saw me and I could just see the resistance, I was like, okay. You so then made through that. Yeah, so I'm 25 yeah. years old and in the back with their arms crossed, like, what is this young boy going to teach me? I could be his mama, I could be his grandfather, I could be whatever. And I made up my mind that by the end of that class, the only thing they were going to be able to do is say, That young man knows his stuff.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, you know, so I had a little bit, I'm not going to lie. Early on, I had a decent sized chip on my shoulder because I believed that I was being evaluated, not for my knowledge, but because of my appearance. I was just so, not only was I young, I was young looking as a young man. So I get what you're saying. You walk in and the perception shifts based upon what they think should be happening right now. I can only learn this from an older doctor or older minister or older teacher versus bring an open and receptive consciousness to the space. And um, what's interesting out of it is, I'm sure when you walked in the rooms because of your consciousness, not just your your, uh, pedigree medically, people have had a sense of everything's going to be okay
1: they do relax. You know, I do feel there's always patients who come in with um, different beliefs about who you are as a person or how intelligent you are based on what you look like, your age, my skin color. And that's mm-hmm. even in my regular professional life, you know? Yeah. And, but I do feel that once they, once they get to know me, they do relax. It's been a privilege to be in the lives of these women, and women, like you said, like your own example, they make a majority of healthcare decisions for their families. So I take these visits as um, a high impact, yeah, opportunity to to really make change. And I sit down, and when you when you're sitting, the type of work that we both do, especially you know you you can be on the pulpit, but you're also healing in your office. So when you are sitting within four to six feet of a person in a small room, hearing about their life stories, I go and and I'm doing procedures, I'm operating. There is a certain level of humility and personal responsibility that I take into every interaction. And I'm also, I take my spiritual life into these spaces. So when I'm feeling negative energy, if I'm about to do a surgery on an anxious patient, the, the staff may not know, but I pray. And I think there are a lot of doctors like me. And then there are a lot of doctors who are still healers, maybe even if they're not consciously uh, using the law, they've set an intention. And then there's people that are in the profession for uh, other reasons, just like any profession. And um, so one of the things about, about new thought that I think we need is to really bridge this thing, you know, spirituality and, and medicine and science in a way where people feel um, seen, heard, and understood. They don't feel guilty. I recently attended a workshop where uh, there was a, the, the facilitator was talking about, you know, don't let anybody tell you you need your your fibroids removed. And you imagine I'm sitting there in the workshop, and this is an issue yeah, women. And who, and, and particularly in, in, in communities of color where fibroids are 70, up 70 to 80% of women have them. And if yeah. they're left untreated, mm-hmm. you know, they grow and they can cause major problems. If we're really in an alignment with our divine essence and knowing like Ernest Holmes talks about that there's unity and multiplicity, that mm-hmm. there is a divinity and a divine intelligence in the geologist and the gardener and mm-hmm. the spiritual genius, the minister mm-hmm. and in the medical doctor. What if we held spaces where we, we really bridge these things? We talked about the data and the impacts on our community, but then we talk about how healing can be found in these conventional spaces and how to use your intuition to make those choices. If you are going to take medication, if you are going to have surgery, Right. move in in, in faith, not fear. To be willing to show up to the table, listen deeply, and and make decisions out of love and not fear. That's the conversations we need to be having in our movement.
0: Yes, absolutely, Uh, Dr. Liza. We're we're running out of uh, wrap up time. I'm going to have to invite you back because we didn't even get to half of the questions that uh, I prepared. Uh, (laughs) But I've loved this conversation because I think it's, it's it's so important that this conversation. Uh, is broadcasted over this podcast and we start to have this conversation in the world because as you focus on health medicine and bring the consciousness of truth to it it reminded me of something that uh Johnny Coleman used to always say to us at ministers meeting she would say all healing begins in the mind of the practitioner
1: They do it does
0: and you know so it doesn't make a difference if it's the medical practitioner the spiritual practitioner, the minister, the spiritual teacher, whatever, the healing starts there first. And
1: creation begins in the mind.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know, and I'm a big believer in uh, Emmett Fox. There's no such thing as undemonstrated understanding. That's Mm -hmm. like my favorite quote of all time, because it always gets me back to, okay, if I understand it, I can demonstrate it. If I understand it, it's demonstrating. If it's not demonstrating, what do I need to understand that I don't right now? So I think you give people a great bridge. Uh, I would love to invite you back, you know, down the line before the year is out so I we can that. continue to flesh uh, the conversation out. And uh,
1: powerful questions. So we'll have to get to those because. I
0: Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, I'd be more than willing to support, you know, work that talks about bridging metaphysics and medicine. If you need some new thought ministers uh, to help with that process. I'm more than willing to say yes, because I'm a big believer that new thought has to stop being the best kept secret in the world.
1: We need to stand in our beliefs. I think. um, When I became a practitioner, there was a nurse I was working with and she approached me and she says, well, is it is it price based? You know, is it is it Jesus based? And so individuals can can cower and hide behind the principles, even though we know Jesus Christ was like the ultimate metaphysician. And it, so I think standing in our own spiritual truth and seeing each other's intentions is, is, is really key. And I, and I, we need this work. We we do need to bridge this thing, science, yeah. and medicine, and, and, and fight for what we know is true. There are so many people craving and seeking other healing modalities. They're looking for it. Um, they often can't afford some of the more conventional spaces, even therapy, you know, there's a sexy talk right now about mental health. You try to get a therapist, many of them are unavailable or they pulled out of taking insurance, but I always preferred seeing a spiritual practitioner versus a conventional therapist. That's where I have. And I know other people, if, if, if opened up to the concept of it Mm -hmm. would, would really um, benefit and soar from that. So, we have work to
0: do. We got work to do. So, um, give people the website one more time, please, so they can get in contact with you.
1: It's healthfowls.org. Healthfowls.org. And, you know, I love doing workshops. I just did two uh, large workshops for the Boston Public Library, uh, one on sleep and one on optimizing health. And they were really powerful. This was last week. So, these are not spaces in what I call our spiritual utopia. Like when you describe Christ's.
0: Universal Universal Temple Temple.
1: and a thousand people taking classes, what I wouldn't do to be in that kind of environment. But what happens is I go to Celebrating Our Soul or I go to a Centers for Spiritual Living conference and then I come back to Boston and I'm living with these principles in everyday life, taking care of one patient at a time. And that's where I have to allow myself not to get discouraged, but to stay encouraged and inspired.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So thank you. I'll, be, you know, definitely be in contact about scheduling you for another time. I'm going to say to the guests, make sure that you reach out, go to the website, whether you're a man or a woman, because okay. guess what? If you're a man, you have some woman in your life, a mother, a aunt, a grandmother, a daughter, a sister, a niece, a friend, a coworker who could benefit from this work. So log on. Check it out. Check out the work. If you have questions, she told you she can, you can reach out to her. You can ask questions. You can sign up for free programs. You know, you know, for people now. love a hookup. You can, people love a hookup. So, <laughs> so free is the best hookup going. Give yourself the benefit of your own breakthrough. So make sure you reach out to Dr. Liza and get connected to her work. Thank you, and I'll be back with you next week with Truth Transform.